Hey everybody, welcome back to Rediscovering Yourself Through Chronic Illness. I'd been thinking about this a lot today and decided to hop on and do a quick podcast. Um, As I said in the last episode, the last week has been kind of crazy because I had two round trips to make um, for surgery follow-up for Chiari malformation, so that was draining. Um, Each one of those round trips ended up being like close to 400 miles and I'm fortunate, even the state-sponsored insurance actually covers transportation costs, which is amazing. I can't stress enough, you know, how good it is that the insurance does that because, you know, it's like the ends do justify the means. It's either, you know, helping with the coverage of uh, transportation costs to getting to your appointments, which a lot of people are unable to do and therefore run the risk of potentially getting sicker, or not covering transportation and having people have those issues and ultimately they end up um, not making their appointments, get even sicker and it becomes an even bigger expense for the insurance rolls. So it's definitely good that the insurance covers that. Um, But yeah, it's, as I've alluded to in other episodes, it's been quite a process. Mm. You know, I'll preface with the fact that by and large, I've been far more blessed than a lot of people with POTS. So I definitely want to reiterate that because so many people, you know, as I've said more than once at this point, so many people have to contend with um, four years and six doctors. And I mean, if you're lucky, it's four years and six doctors. That's the average norm. But so many people take longer. Um, but four years and six doctors to just get a diagnosis and I'm just shy of six years since my diagnosis, my initial, and I've come a long way. Have the trips been (coughs) daunting at times? Yeah. I've probably traveled a combined 4,800 miles for my in-person visits, you know, and I'm so, so blessed to be a patient of the Stanford healthcare system. To me, they really are in a lot of ways the best of the best. Um, but yeah, making the trips does wear on you after a while. Um, but no, the last time I saw my local cardiologist, he'd put in a referral for a pulmonologist through the, uh, Stanford healthcare system because my local pulmonologist up here, after I'd had a, uh, 45 to 50 milliliter drop in blood pressure, um, during one of the parts of the Valsalva test, which is a breathing test, um, my local pul- pulmonologist basically was like, <coughs> we'd pretty much, he's like, oh, well, we pretty much determined that was a cardiac issue. It's like, excuse me? Um, the Valsalva literally is a pulmonary test. So it's, I literally wanted to look at this guy and reach the phone, smack him across the face. Um, because there's passing the buck and then there's what he did. Because not only... Did I see that blood pressure drop? I ended up spending three to four months on fludrocortisone, which is a corticosteroid. So there's, of course, the impact risks of that. And so it's just maddening. So I went ahead and it's been a process trying to get a pulmonary referral. Um, But yeah, my local cardiologist put that in the last time I saw him, which was shortly before I made my initial appointment with my primary. And um, lo and behold, I'd been checking with Stanford to see if they got the referral, was checking with the office of my local cardiologist to see if they'd sent it, blah, blah. Well, just shy of about two weeks since he would have put the referral in, 
it came to my attention that basically from the looks of it, the referral had never left the office. And then they started making the comment, which was the first I'd heard of it, of um, prior authorization for the visit, which I get, you know, prior authorization is not new. But what angered me is the fact that um, prior authorization would have been just then brought up for the first time. After like two weeks of it, from all intents and purposes, looking like the referral had sat on somebody's desk for like two weeks. And I even told one of the um, patient clerks, I was like, you know, this literally is truly and unequivocally terrifying. It's like, I, I even told the lady, I said, you know, I get that prior authorizations are a fundamental aspect of healthcare in a lot of ways. I get it. And my issue was not with it needing a prior authorization. My, I even told her my issue was with the fact that why is prior authorization coming up now? Two weeks after, almost after he had put the referral in. It's like, why is this just being talked about now? Which, again, led me to believe that it had just been sitting on somebody else's desk. Not to mention the fact that they couldn't get a clear-cut, straight answer from the um, clerk that had checked me out from the appointment. I just literally wanted to put my head through the wall because that was the first really genuinely weird appointment I'd had in that office in the six and a half years since I've had POTS. So I finally talked to somebody, got it straight. I got the impression that they were aware that I'd called a few times because the last girl that I had talked to uh, um, when I had mentioned that I was a patient of my doctor checking on her for blah, blah, blah. Um, she was like, is this Morgan? I was like, yeah. And so she had told me this last Monday that she'd fax it. Well, as you can probably imagine, the whole ordeal had blown holes in my faith in their referral coordinators. So that was this last Monday. So I called today. And um, sure enough, they'd faxed the referral. I ended up on the phone with the same girl that I talked to Monday. So I called Stanford's Pulmonary Clinic. And the referral was in triage. And like I told the lady at Stanford, I'm like, I'm just happy to know that it's down there. You know, it's the same thing when my primary said that it could take a while to get a rheumatology referral. It's um, it's like just getting a referral there is great. Just knowing that a referral has been put in, great. If it takes a while to get an appointment, that's okay. The referral is just the first step. So to me, I'm looking at it as glass half full because it's something that's finally happening. But I think the lesson there is, like my mom always says, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So that was a classic case of me having to um, get pugnacious and pissy <laughs> uh, today, especially. But um, the other thing that was kind of unfortunate is my autonomic uh, neurologist at Stanford, by and large, has been helpful. But I was a little disappointed when I had sent in my lab work with the enhanced um, ANA, which is the gold star test for the rheumatology. And some of the other issues from uh, surgery, coupled with the enhanced ANA and the chronic cough, I was kind of hoping cope, hoping that he'd circle around and kind of think the same way as the neurosurgeon. By and large, he didn't. He's like, oh, well, everything looks okay. And my response was, well, my ANA went from 1 over 160 to 1 over 320. Real quick, the ANA scores from lowest to highest is 1 over 40, 1 over 80, 1 over 160, 1 over 320, 1 over 640. Basic rule applies. Lower number equals more ideal. So the fact that I went from 1 over 160 
um, three, three and a half years ago to being one over 320 now, it's like, come on, seriously, everything looks okay? Hmm. And then having the thick fibrous tissue um, during surgery that was destroying the base of my skull and wrapped around the cranial cervical, it's like, really, man? So end game goal is um, talk to my primary on October 5th and um, ask her for some labs, some stuff that Stanford wants to roll out, like the cancer genetics assistant who had said something about ruling out for a possible case of mild cystic fibrosis because of the chronic cough and some other stuff to hopefully help out rule out scleroderma and stuff. Just give me some more labs to make a case and and then uh, talk to my local cardiologist and see what we go from there. So it's definitely more of a process. Um, but the main thing is, is that even how, even despite how daunting it can be, it's always about trying to put at least one foot in front of another, in front of another, you know, I mean, we all have our good days and we all have our bad days navigating this, whether it's those of us that are facing the diagnosis personally or if we're in the periphery of people that that are. Because this is something that, you know, and I'm almost at a loss for words, you know, we're, we all have come to realize that there's an incredible amount of red tape in, in the healthcare system. There just is, you know, and so there's so much learned on a daily, on an hourly basis about different health conditions. There's so much yet to learn. And again, I've had this argument with people close to me for so long that the better way to describe POTS is misunderstood than just to say that it's new. Because again, it's like, first of all, there's issues, cases of it going back 150 years to the Civil War, used to be known as Soldier's Heart, the big thing was is it didn't get its formal, literal name, diagnosis, clinical labeling until the early 90s. But it's not new. It's just been re- it's been misdiagnosed. It's primarily often misdiagnosed as chronic fatigue, which is one of the most vague and open-ended issues imaginable. Because it's like going to a room with 50 people and be like, hey, who's tired? Almost 10 to 1 you'll get. Eight out of ten people you encounter in a room that you ask who's tired, at least eight out of ten that will say, wave their hand up in the air and go, me. So, um, yeah, it's just, I was just telling somebody else, it's, it's just a process. You know, it's it's definitely one of those issues where you, where you sit there and try to grasp the things that put put a smile on your face. You know, you take stock and you take a realization of where things sit, where things could sit. Um, you know, I've had some people tell me not to look down or look through or, you know, immerse myself in some of the rabbit holes that I've immersed myself in. But, you know, in a lot of ways, if I hadn't have immersed myself in some of the rabbit holes that I have, I can almost guarantee that half the stuff I would have heard at Stanford by now would have scared the living hell out of me more than it had in the end. Because at least it gave me a basic familiarity of the term and a basic idea. Um, So, and it kind of, in a lot of ways, helped me put the battle gear on. So, um, anyway. 
But I guess the purpose here is to just reiterate and illustrate the fact that um, squeaky wheel does get the grease. We all hit our inevitable roadblocks. Not a question of if we hit them. Just a question of the particular block. And just remembering that the best advocate that any of us can have is ultimately ourself. It's incredibly valuable to have a support system, to acknowledge it, to respect it, to honor it, to thank it, to try and empathize with our support system and to remember that they have their moments too. You know, nobody has the clearest answer to respond to anybody's situation except for saying, hey, I'm here. I get it in my own way. I can't stress enough. The best thing to say is I get it in my own way to at least show, hey, you know, you're trying to understand and empathize. And when people say they get it in their own way, by and large, they probably do. But at least they're saying I get it in my own way instead of just saying I get it because I get it can kind of come off as a blanket statement of, oh, I get it and belittles and can very easily belittle the potential, you know, realization that um, everybody has their own circumstances that they have to endure. So, um, with that being said, I'm actually very, very happy by and large that the remainder of my Stanford appointments between now and, uh, the end of next spring are by and large telemed because, well, the insurance pays for car service. Like I said, those trips are just, they're something else. Sometimes I think even my cat, when I when she comes home, is kind of looking at me like, really? <laughs> so it's definitely one of those times when I'm, when I'm glad to have my little uh, furry pal with me, because it is important to find the things to put that you know turn your frown upside down, as my mom would say, or to put a smile on your face. And it's it's okay to admit that you're having a bad day. And it's okay to celebrate a good day. It's okay to honor a good day. To cherish a good day. To recognize a bad day. To remember it's okay to have a bad day. Because we're all human. And we all have our on and off days. But um, it's just, it's okay to remember that uh, to immerse experience life for every facet that that um that comes about but to try and um, not fall in the cesspool of living in the living in the negative and the hurt for longer than you necessarily have to but with that being said that comment was directed at the fact that um someone once told me when I was having a bad day, they're like, try not to stay in the hole too long. And the, and uh, the lesson I got out of that was, you know, hey, be in your grief, be in your stress, be in your hole, heal yourself, give yourself a hug. But remember, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And to try to encourage to come out at some point. You know, because we all have our moments where we try and where we crawl back into a cave and are like, you know, we just need to have our our time where we lick our wounds and kind of put our head down and be like, hey, I just need a minute. And those are okay to take. Um, 
but it is it is daunting at times and everybody has their own time frame and everybody it needs to be acknowledged that everybody has their own time frame but it is good to remember that um things can get better it's not a question of if things will get better it's just a question of when you know there's a season for everything but um definitely comes down to a trying to remember to appreciate the little things while acknowledging the life stresses. That's something that that I grew up with being told a lot. And it's true. So, anyway, just a quick uh, hop in to check in with everybody. Thanks, you, thanks guys, for listening. And um, as always, for the sake of sounding like a broken record... This podcast was absolutely created with the hopes of trying to keep the dialogue going and um, foster some sense of advocacy and awareness, so definitely open for topic suggestions. Have a good night.